If you've been looking for a comprehensive Bible school curriculum that explores redemptive realities in Jesus Christ grounded in the Word of God, look no further. The goal of this podcast is to spread the life-transforming Word of God throughout the world for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ in what Jesus has accomplished for us through His death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God the Father. There's such an untapped potential for Christians to enter into their glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. Together we will discover what Jesus has done for us by providing such a great salvation and how to appropriate the promises of God in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Each podcast season will cover one of the books that I have compiled over the years. You can find a complete listing of my Christian education material on my website at www.wordinspire.com. You're welcome to download these ebooks for free in PDF format for your own personal or ministry use. So let's explore these biblical truths and principles together that will absolutely transform our lives. God bless. Welcome to the Word of Life study series, Healing is the Children's Bread. In this episode, we will be examining how God's provision for healing worked under the Old Covenant, which served as a type and shadow for better things to come under the New Covenant. Someone will ask, what does healing under the Old Covenant have to do with us today? That was back then and applied to Israel. You know, God is the same God now as He was then. The Bible says He does not change according to Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. God was against sin in the Old Testament, and he's against sin in the New Testament. He was against sickness in the Old Testament, and he's against sickness in the New Testament. He made provision for healing in the Old Testament, and he made provision for healing in the New Testament. God's Healing Provision for Israel God always has been opposed to sickness, not in favor of it. Even in the Old Testament, he always made provision for his covenant people to be healed. If sickness was his will, he wouldn't have made that provision. When Israel crossed the Red Sea and started toward their homeland, the Lord said in Exodus 15.26, He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep His decrees, I will not bring, literally in the Hebrew, I will not permit on you any of the diseases I brought or permitted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Notice it isn't the Lord who made them sick. He said, I am the Lord that heals you. Therefore, God takes responsibility for healing. The devil certainly doesn't. God didn't put diseases upon Israel, nor upon the Egyptians. It is Satan, the God of this world, who makes people sick. Jehovah declares that he is Israel's healer, and he is our healer today as well. Exodus 23.25 Worship the Lord your God, and his blessing will be on your food and water, and I will take away sickness from among you, and none will miscarry nor be barren in your land, and I will give you a full lifespan. 
As long as Israel walked in the covenant, there was no sickness among them. There is no record of premature death, no babies, young people, or middle-aged people dying young. With sickness taken out from among them, the children of Israel lived out their lives without disease. They just fell asleep at a ripe old age, full of years. When the time came for them to go, they would lay their hands on their children and pronounce a blessing upon them. Then they would gather their feet up into their bed and their spirit would simply leave their body. This experience is referred to as the death of the righteous. No wasting disease eating them away, no Alzheimer's or mental debilitation. This is God's best for his people. Even though some very fine Christians may have had a traumatic departure, it does not change God's will and plan for his people. Genesis 49.33 When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew up his feet into his bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Deuteronomy 7.13 He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. You know, it would be a strange kind of love if God put death on his children and strike them down with all kinds of horrible plagues and illnesses. I think some people must not be reading the same Bible. They'll read into the scriptures something like this, And he will put sickness upon you and cause some of you to be stillborn, and some of you to die when you're children, and some of you to be sick and crippled all your life. Absolutely not. That is not what the Bible says concerning his perfect will for his covenant children. The curse of the law is for those who break the law, not for those who have been redeemed from it through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 13. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine, and oil, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks, and in the land that he swore to your forefathers to give you. You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor any of your livestock without young. The Lord will keep you free from every disease. He will not inflict or permit on you the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt. Remember that Jesus said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave. God's love gives healing. It does not take it away. Why would Jesus lay down his life to redeem us from the curse of sickness to just put it back on us? This would be a major contradiction, but God does not contradict himself. 1 John 4.9 This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. Glory to God, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 13, was written for our benefit today. I think the Holy Spirit knew that there would be those who would jump up and say, that's just for the Jews, it's not for us. So he had recorded what had happened to them for our benefit and for our admonition, Romans 15, 4. So should we think people back then would be more blessed than the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today? Should we think they could be more blessed financially and could prosper and be well under the old covenant, but the church couldn't be under a new covenant with better promises? Should we think the church, the body of Christ, the body of the Son of God, the body of the Beloved, would have to struggle through life poverty-stricken? be sick and afflicted, emaciated, and wasting away with starvation, singing, Here I am, wandering like a beggar through the heat and the cold. No, that is not the picture the Bible paints for his glorious church. Hebrews 7.22 2 Peter 1.1 Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, through our knowledge of Him 
who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Hebrews 8.6 But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one and is founded on better promises. Hebrews 8.13 By calling this covenant new, he made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. So let's look at some examples for us. When we look at the Old Testament examples, remember that they were written down for our benefit, instruction, and warning. God wants us to learn from their mistakes, but also to imitate their faith and obedience. As the Old Testament saints were God's covenant people, so are we, according to Galatians 3.29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. There is a tremendous application and relevance for us today to be gleaned from reading the Old Covenant. Just remember to interpret the Old Covenant in light of the New Covenant. For instance, the Israelites were notorious for opening the door to the devil through their disobedience. In this regard, the Lord is warning us not to do what they did. All the consequences of their sin, death, pain, and suffering came from the hand of Satan, which God allowed as a righteous judge. 1 Corinthians 10.1 For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from that spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes, and do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happen to them as examples and are written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Isaiah one nineteen, If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So lessons learned, be quick to forgive, quick to repent, and quick to obey. Consider the heroes of faith in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Those accounts were obviously very positive and they were all commended by God for us to see and follow their examples of faith and obedience. We are encouraged to be bold, courageous, and to put our trust in God regardless of the circumstances. The thought is, if they can do it, as ordinary folks anointed by the Holy Spirit, how much more can we, being filled with the Holy Spirit under the New Covenant? Hebrews 11.39 These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The Old Testament types and shadows were also written down for our benefit, so as to gain greater appreciation and understanding of Jesus' redemptive work 
Just consider all the numerous prophetic references to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They were originally recorded as types and shadows, but were later revealed and explained to us in the New Testament. Colossians 2.16 Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Hebrews 10.1 The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to God in worship. 1 Peter 1.10 Considering this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. All the Old Testament blessings are ours in Christ, who is the door for us to this wonderful new life. The God who does not change has never changed his mind to bless and provide for his children. Malachi 3.6 I the Lord do not change. And Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises... God has made. They are yes in Christ, and so through him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Many times, This is where folks miss it. They say, I know God promised to heal me, but he hasn't done it yet. This causes folks to become confused. But God didn't promise to heal them someday. He said in his word that they were already healed, and healing already belongs to them right now. To say that God has promised to heal us someday is like an unsaved person saying, I know God has promised to save me, I just hope he will. No, God didn't promise to save the sinner in the future. The word says that salvation already belongs to every unsaved person right now. It's just a matter of receiving. 2 Corinthians 5.19 Salvation is a gift that is to be received because it's already been given. It was paid for by Jesus Christ, and it already belongs to us now. Healing belongs to us too. So what are we waiting for? Jesus already provided for it. Receiving healing, just like receiving salvation, is simply a matter of appropriating what already belongs to us through faith in God's word because of Christ's redemptive work. Now, someone might say, I've read all kinds of wonderful healing promises in the word, but stop right there. These wonderful scriptures on healing that we've been covering are promises from God and that they are available to us, but they are not automatic. We still have to meet the conditions of faith and obedience to benefit from them. Yet on the other hand, 
They are also statements of fact, past tense provision from God that just simply needs to be received. By His grace given 2,000 years ago, and our faith today, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and through 9. Remember, in the mind of God, we are already healed. God sees it as a past event. He has already healed us because He has laid sickness and disease on Jesus 2,000 years ago. Jesus has already borne sickness and disease for us, so we don't have to carry it around in our bodies today. The bottom line is, we need not bear what Jesus already bore for us. Peter later wrote this reality concerning Jesus' redemptive work in 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. If we talk about healing in the future tense as something God is going to do, then we have completely missed the boat. This is the reason why we are not getting healed. So let's change our talking from God's going to heal me, waiting on God to do something, to God has already healed me, praise the Lord, which is faith receiving now what God has already done in Christ. Peter was looking back to the cross. Since he spoke in the past tense, you have been healed. In other words, we're not going to be healed. We are already healed. Speaking as though it already happened brings results and brings the reality of it into manifestation in our lives. What we need to know is that in the mind of the Father, we are perfectly healed and perfectly free from sin because he has already laid our diseases and our sins upon his Son for us. His Son was already made sin with our sins. He was already made sick with our diseases. In the mind of Jesus, we are perfectly healed because he can remember when he was made sin with our sins when he was made sick with our diseases. He remembers when he put our sin and our diseases away from him in his death, burial, and resurrection. In the mind of the Holy Spirit, we are absolutely free from both sin and sickness. For he remembers when Christ was made sin and when he was made sick for us. He remembers when he raised Jesus from the dead. Christ was free from our sin and our sickness. Both had been put away through his redemptive work. The word declares that by his stripes we were healed in the King James Version. The whole problem is our recognition of the absolute truthfulness of that word. Honestly, it's not in good taste to ask him to heal us, for he already has done it. The truth came as a real shock to me when I first saw it. Since he declared that we were healed, therefore we are healed today. The only problem now is to get in perfect harmony with his word. If he declares we are healed then our part is to thank him for the work he has already accomplished. That is exactly what Jesus was saying in Mark 11.24. Before we receive, we must first believe that we have already received it, before we even see it. We see it through the eye of faith, God's word. This is not a riddle, but something simple on how faith works, because faith is the evidence of things not seen according to Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The fact that God's word declares I am healed is the only proof I need to be healed. Because God said it, that settles it. God's word contains God's grace and power as spiritual seed to produce the manifestation of what he has already promised to do. The seed is in itself, Genesis 1.11, whose seed is in itself. Mark 11.24, 
Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Only when we stand in faith on God's word, that our body will come in line with God's word, and every symptom has to go. Well, someone might say, I just believe that God is going to heal me sometime. The truth of the matter is, that's not agreeing with God. In fact, to say that is really taking sides against God because God and His Word are one. God's Word is God speaking to us, and God's Word says we were already healed, 1 Peter 2.24. So what's it going to be? Side with God and His Word, or side with our feelings and what our five senses tell us? So why is it important to believe that we are healed before it actually manifests in our body? Because Jesus said, only in believing we were healed, that we become healed. Now, God was Israel's healer. The Psalms were Israel's prayer book and songbook, and they continually mention that God was Israel's healer in Psalms 103 is a classic example. In verse 1, we begin reading, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Disease came to Israel through disobedience of the law. So forgiveness for their disobedience meant healing for their diseases. God told Israel that the reason for their sickness and disease was that they had rebelled against his words and against the counsel of the Most High. Psalms 107 verse 17. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distresses. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. The scriptures give the reason for their troubles. The children of Israel took themselves out from under the protection of their covenant by wrongdoing. God permitted the devil to have access to them and afflict them due to their unrepentant hearts. Even though we have a new covenant that is better than the old covenant, according to Hebrews 8.6, with divine protection as a provision, it is still possible for us to take ourselves out from under the protection of this covenant as the children of Israel did under their covenant, through disobedience, ignorance, or a lack of faith. Did you know that ignoring the leading of the Holy Spirit is just as much disobedience as telling a lie? Failure to follow God's plan for our lives and doing our own thing will expose us to the attacks of the enemy just as quick as unforgiveness will. We need to be sensitive to our spirit when it condemns us when we miss God. Let's be quick to repent and get back under the protection of the blood covenant. We have the word of God to point out obvious sin that we commit. But other acts of disobedience, like resisting the Holy Spirit, is not always so obvious. Our recreated human spirit is a safe guide, and when it condemns us of sin, confess it to God according to 1 John 1, nine. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence, whenever our own hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. 
And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Holy Spirit he has given us. Long life is a wonderful promise from God and for all his children, whether they realize it for themselves or not. We have a better covenant than Israel had. If it was God's plan for the Israelites to live out their full length of time without sickness, who by the way were servants and not sons under a covenant not as good as ours, then imagine what his plan is for us, the children of God. If God didn't want his servants sick, obviously he doesn't want his sons or daughters to be sick either. I believe it is the plan of God that no believer should ever be sick, just as it was his will that all be saved and go to heaven. So will everyone get saved on the earth today? No, neither will everyone get healed. But that is not God's fault, nor has his word failed. There are reasons why not everyone gets saved, just as there are reasons why not everyone gets healed. But it's not because God has changed his mind or his will on the matter. Human beings are the variable in this equation. Their free will and decisions make all the difference on whether they get saved or healed. So God has done all he's ever going to do in providing salvation and healing. Now it's up to folks to mix God's word with faith in order to receive from God's highest and best for their lives, but it's not automatic. I believe that according to the Bible, every believer should live out his or her full length of time, which according to Psalms 91 is, with a long life will I satisfy him. When we are satisfied. If you're not satisfied at 80, live on to 90. If you're not satisfied then, just keep on living until you're satisfied. The only cap we have in longevity according to Genesis 6-3 is 120 years. So if Jesus tarries his return, God's will is for us to live until we are satisfied and wear out our bodies and then fall asleep in him. It is not, and I state boldly, not the will of God that we should suffer with cancer or any other dreaded diabolical disease that will bring pain and anguish. No, it is always God's will that we be healed because healing is provided for us under the new covenant as it was under the old. Hebrews 4.1 Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us take heed, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. God's Covenant Names The great poet William Shakespeare once posed this question, What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell sweet. Our modern society places little significance on the meaning of a name. Parents usually name their child after a beloved relative or a well-known person. Sometimes they pick a child's name merely because it sounds good, but seldom would they give thought to the meaning of a name. Yet names do mean something. Ideally, they correspond directly to the one designated by that name. For example, my name Bryce means quick and lively. The name Diana comes from the Greek word meaning of a god. So a girl that has that name is supposed to be simply divine in her beauty or other qualities. Other people's names are derived from words of the ancient Greek, Latin, Norse, or other languages, and most of those names have some special meaning. The same is true of names like places. Consider Philadelphia, which means city of brotherly love. 
It comes from the Greek word phileo, to love, and topopolis, which is city. The name Jerusalem means city of peace, derived from the Hebrew word shalom, meaning peace. My point is this, while it may be alright for Shakespeare to shrug off the importance of a name, we should not take names so lightly. Often a name provides an important clue to the nature of a person or place or their destiny. This is certainly true of God. The Bible refers to God by many different names, and each one reveals some aspect of God's character or his relationship with us. The translators who gave us the King James Version and other English versions of the Bible simply translate his name as God or Lord. But significantly, several Greek or Hebrew names are used in the original manuscripts. If we want to become a serious student of the Word of God, we should be familiar with those Greek and Hebrew names because they contain a wealth of truth about the wonderful God we serve. For example, the Lord, Yahweh or Jehovah, the Lord is God, Jehovah Elohim, the Lord God Most High, Jehovah Elion, the Almighty God, El Shaddai, or the God that's more than enough, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is Healer, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is our righteousness, Jehovah Sitkenu, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Tesbah, the Lord is Conqueror, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is Peace, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is there, Jehovah Shammah. In regards to the scope of our study, we're going to briefly cover the Lord is Healer, according to his covenant name, Jehovah Rapha. God made our bodies, and God is able to heal them and keep them healthy when we meet his conditions by obeying his instructions. God demonstrated this to the children of Israel as Moses led them out of bondage in Egypt. Exodus chapter 15 tells how the Israelites rejoiced to see God deliver them from the Egyptians. You'll remember that God parted the Red Sea so they could cross over on dry ground. Then he let the waters come flooding in upon the pursuing Egyptian hordes. What a day of victory that was. The Israelites celebrated with singing and dancing with Moses' sister Miriam leading the festivities. You can read this in Exodus chapter 15 verse 20. However, three days later, when they were unable to find good drinking water, because remember they were in a desert, the Israelites started grumbling in Exodus chapter 15 verse 22. However, three days later, when they were unable to find good drinking water, the Israelites started grumbling, Exodus 15 verse 22. Isn't that just like fickle human nature? We forget God's goodness so easily. But in this moment of distress, God spoke to his people through Moses and revealed another name for himself, a name that would encourage them for years to come. In Exodus 15.25, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the waters became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring or permit any of these diseases that I permitted upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you, Jehovah Rapha. The Lord showed Moses a tree. Moses cast the tree into the waters and the waters became sweet. So how could the tree make the bitter waters sweet? Did it have some magical powers? No, God made the bitter water sweet, but he used the tree because it spoke of the cross that his son would die on. Jesus was crucified on a tree. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So what is God trying to tell us here in this example? What is bitter in our life can be made sweet when we throw in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Suppose we are very bitter towards our earthly father for having abused us when we were a child. The more we focus on the cross, the more we see how Jesus died for our dad's sins, as well as our own sins, the more the bitterness disappears. The more we see how God has forgiven us of our lifetime of sins, the more we will be able to forgive others in Luke 7.47. Bringing in the cross removes the bitterness and adds sweetness to the whole thing. In this example, the application is obviously to emotional healing. God can heal our broken heart because his son's heart was literally broken at the cross. Medical experts believe that Jesus' heart had ruptured because blood as well as water flowed out when a Roman soldier's spear pierced his side, John 19.34. And Isaiah 53.3 also tells us that at the cross, Jesus became a man of sorrows. The Hebrew word for sorrows is makab. The word makab means physical as well as mental pain. Therefore, Jesus' heart was broken so that ours could be mended and filled with joy and love. He bore our mental pains so that we could have peace of mind, a sound mind, and the mind of Christ. The name Jehovah Rapha reveals his nature of healer to his people. And he was certainly not talking about spiritual healing, but rather physical healing, because the diseases which came upon the Egyptians were not spiritual, but physical. The very fact that one of his names is Jehovah Rapha should be enough to convince us that he is a God who wants to heal. But why can he heal undeserving and sinful men? Because of the tree. Jesus was nailed to the cross and cast into the bitter waters so that we can be healed. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains on Calvary's tree. The world will talk about some people being a carrier of this sickness or that virus. Do you know that the devil would try to make you and me to be a pack mule to carry all kinds of sickness, depression, pains, poverty, and the like in our lives? We must be adamant that he bore for me what he carried for me, I refuse to carry again. If I carried again after he carried it, then he carried it for me in vain. What the Lord bore for us, we need to simply refuse to carry in our lives. When the devil puts symptoms on our body, we don't have to accept it with our heart. Just keep on resisting it. Say, no, in Jesus' name, sickness, you cannot stay here. Return to sender. 2 Corinthians 6 1. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. The word Rapha in Strong's Exhaustive Concordance means to mend, by stitching, to cure, to heal, a physician repair through making one whole. Now let's take a closer look at the Hebrew word Rapha. According to Brown Driver and Briggs Hebrew Lexicon, Rapha means to heal, to make healthful. This sounds like physical healing in the plainest sense. But if we want to know if Rapha really refers to physical healing, we can find out where the word first appears in the Bible and see if it refers to physical healing. This method of Bible interpretation is known as the law of first mention. The first occurrence of Rapha in the Bible, then, is found in Genesis chapter 20, verse 17. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Rapha, Abimelech, his wife, 
and his slave girls so they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife Sarah. God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants after Abraham prayed for them, and the women were able to bear children again. Clearly, this was a physical healing. So Rapha does refer to physical healing. The word Rapha is also used in Isaiah 53 verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Rapha, that's the Hebrew word for healed. And because Rapha refers to physical healing, as we have just seen, we know that Isaiah was referring to physical healing when he said, by his wounds we are healed. Notice that God said, I am the Lord who heals you, if you'll do what I've told you to do. His promise came with a requirement, a condition that the Israelites had to meet if they wanted him to heal them. Let's praise our God for being Jehovah Rapha. Thank him for being the one who heals us of all of our sicknesses and diseases. Let's claim his healing for our life today. I trust that you have enjoyed listening to this episode and have seen the connection between God's unchanging nature to heal his people under both the Old and New Covenants. One of the redemptive and eternal names of God is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. God bless. I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life Study Series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's Word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.